Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. There is a long tradition in American history of religion informing our politics. And if you know anything about me, you know anything about what I've written and how what I speak about, uh, a lot of what I speak about anyway, uh, then you know that I think that this is largely a positive thing and ought to be welcomed. When a man or a woman runs for office, we don't want them to be hypocrites in reverse. We don't want them to act less religious than they actually are. We, we can understand that their political vision, their political values are shaped by their religion if their religion is sincerely held. And they're going to bring it into their office. They're, it's going to shape what they do. And we should be asking the proper questions and outing this religion, so to speak, benevolently uh, during the campaign season. It's to be welcomed. It's to be understood. It's what the founding fathers intended, not a violation of church and state, not an establishment of religion, but instead an understanding that those who are sincere about their faith will bring noble religious values to play in the public square and that this is to be welcomed, that this is valuable, that this is this actually makes our society more noble and it's what a supernaturally revealed religion is uh, come into the world to do. Now, all of that is understood. All of that has been well written about. All of that is, is, I think, a positive trend in American history. And again, what the founding fathers intended. In recent elections, in recent presidential elections, we've had religious leaders go beyond simply counseling the candidates or the people in office as uh, on the spiritual matters, go beyond simply holding aloft uh, the noble values that religion has to offer to the public square, uh, go beyond uh, simply uh, assuring religious liberty in the land, and instead essentially become PR agents for the candidate, covering over their weaknesses, making apologies for them, um, Dis- dismissing or looking another way uh, when immoral behavior surfaces uh, and essentially, to use the crass phrase in American prod- uh, politics, getting in to bed with the politician. Uh, I think this does damage to the politician. I think it certainly does damage to religion, and it certainly diminishes these religious leaders. In the recent presidential election that we had in the United States with Donald Trump running for office, I think that religious leaders in America, conservative religious leaders, were so afraid of Hillary Clinton, so afraid of the left, so afraid of the opposition, that when Donald Trump began to emerge as the front runner, they rallied to Donald Trump and began to uh, support him in a way that was just blind. It was, it was just full-throated. It defied uh, opposition. It was angry. It was bitter. Uh, it made excuses for immorality that they would have decried from their own pulpits. Um, and it did not serve the nation, the candidate, their religion, or by the way, themselves well at all. And the threat here is going to be that, of course, they're going to defile the cause of religion in America. They're going to work to de- reduce religious liberty. And they're definitely going to risk losing the generation on the rise, the young generation, the millennials who are uh, very mystified and, and offended uh, by their conduct. Uh, let me give you a slight example. Uh, the president of Liberty University 
um, whose last name is Falwell. You, 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 I think most of you uh, know who he is. He's the son of Jerry Falwell, the founder of university. Welcomed Donald Trump to make a speech at the university. This has happened two or three times, but this was back during the time of the campaign. And I'm also alluding a little bit to a speech he made before he ran for office, also at Liberty University. The, the head of the university, the, the Falwell Jr., uh, we could call him just for humor's sake, um, was so uh, pro-Donald Trump that it was hard to distinguish the presentation that he made of Donald Trump in his speech from the way he would have introduced Jesus. In the course of one introduction, he compared Donald Trump to Jesus Christ— to uh, Jerry Falwell Sr., the the founder of the university, to Martin Luther King Jr., and to Ronald Reagan. That was in one speech. He said he would welcome a Trump Tower on campus. He described Donald Trump as the greatest visionary in America today. Um, And he went ahead and and, uh, told stories commending his Christian character in terms of how he helped with a scholarship fund or helped rescue a, a basketball program in New York. Now, I say none of this to take away from Donald Trump. Donald Trump has his virtues. He's got his strengths. I lean right of center politically, so I'm glad for some of the things he champions, although he frankly does it so clumsily in creating such a stir um, that it's hard to get down to the real core issues, and we're going to have a very tumultuous presidency to live through. But but I'm not, I'm not just violently anti-Donald Trump, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that. But I am concerned about the way conservative religious leaders supported Donald Trump. During that campaign, we heard from people that he was Abraham Lincoln, he was Cyrus, he was Christ-like, he was Churchill-like. I mean, it was unbelievable the laudatory language that was used of Donald Trump in the recent campaign by men and women of God. Now, I certainly can understand why some of the policies that Donald Trump espouses and supports are closer to a conservative religious vision uh, than are uh, those of, the, of other candidates. Again, I'm, as I say, I'm right there. I understand that. But it is not necessary. In fact, I think it borders on sin, frankly, to so endorse a candidate to so overlook his or her weaknesses, to so speak of them as divinely ordained and like unto great leaders of history uh, before a watching world, that these religious leaders essentially become shills, PR agents for a candidate, rather than maintaining, and here's the phrase I like to use, prophetic distance. What does prophetic distance mean? Prophetic distance means that you speak your truth You call the candidate or the politician to be better. You hold before them a religious vision. You hold before them the will of God and godly character and what you perceive to be God's will for the ethics of the nation. You champion, for example, the poor. You champion, for example, as ancient words say, just weights and scales, justice in the economic sphere. Um, you champion uh, a vision for social justice and for racial equality and what comes organically from your faith. You champion those things. You also help the candidate or the politician personally. You counsel them. You nurture them. You pray for them. You encourage them. But you don't. Um, you maintain prophetic distance so your message can be heard. You don't just join the campaign staff. You, you don't just get in the middle of the apparatus. You don't just get in bed with, again, to use that crass phrase. Uh, you, you, you don't just become a shill, a PR agent for that candidate. You maintain your position as a man or woman of God, speaking 
speaking God's truth, but not compromising that stand publicly and that position and that, call it what you will, your preaching, your position, uh, your reputation, what you've taken your stand on in the public eye, not compromising that for the sake of political gain. Uh, I'll speak as a Christian for just a moment. I have my political views. They are informed by my faith. That lands me right of center. And I have been outspoken about those views. But I believe God rules in the affairs of men. And so I'm not so willing to compromise my values, my my faith, um, the stand that I've taken for social justice and for the will of God in, in, in America or in the world, uh, so as to support one individual candidate as though the cause of the kingdom of God relies upon that one candidate. And in the recent election, uh, men and women of God were outspoken, voracious in their fierce in their defense and their proclamation of Donald Trump as though he was the second coming of the Messiah, uh, when the reality was he was a very flawed candidate in the service and the questionable service of some noble political positions. I'm glad he holds some of the positions he holds. I share those positions. I will help and encourage where I can. I don't think he's Jesus. I don't think he's Churchill. I don't think he's Lincoln. I don't think he's Jerry Falwell Sr. I don't think he's Ronald Reagan. I don't think he's Martin Luther King Jr. And when people sold out to that degree to support Donald Trump, largely out of fear of Hillary Clinton and what the political left might do, they were distrusting the sovereignty of God. Uh, They were compromising the very values that they'll preach on a Sunday morning, and they were doing violence to the cause of their faith. And they were propping up artificially a man who needed to be called to a better man. I've written a book on Donald Trump and religion. Uh, It'll be out later this year. I'll talk more about it later. I'm not trying to sell books here now. Uh, But the bottom line is that I think that Donald Trump, one of his virtues is is that he's the kind of man who likes to be challenged by those who believe in him, by those who mean good by it. And he grows from it and he learns from it. And so people who just sell out, people who just lay down and take whatever he has to dish out, uh, people who are just yes men, he has no respect for And many women and men who are supposed to be men and women of God, who are supposed to be uh, lions of of great virtue and nobility and religious vision, they just compromise that for the sake of short-term political gain. Uh, They risk the ire and the derision of the watching world. They risk the loss of the millennials and the young generation on the rise. Um, And they miss, by by the way, uh, bifurcating their own soul, divisions and fissures in their own souls. Um, because they, they so sold themselves out so cheaply. There was a better way to go. You maintain religious distance. You help where you can personally. You hold a noble religious vision before that person as a North Star by which they can navigate. You help them think through policies from the standpoint of the faith which you proclaim. But you don't sell out. You don't become a shill. You don't become a voluntary member of the PR firm. And you also don't turn a blind eye to weaknesses. When someone talks about grabbing women or someone speaks in racist terms uh, or, or someone Someone speaks in crass and nasty terms, uh, you speak as fiercely against that as you would speak against policies they might hold which violate your own faith. That's what it means to maintain prophetic distance. You're not cold, you're not unfriendly, but you are not getting in bed with the politician. You are not just cuddling up to them for the sake of political power. Uh, You are not just selling your soul cheaply for short-term political gain. And I'm concerned that some of our leaders have done this. 
I see the destruction of it. I think we all see the destruction of it. And I think we need men and women of God who can maintain prophetic distance, be compassionate, be loving, be knowledgeable, help guide the country from the standpoint of faith, but not sell out to the political process, not be naive, and certainly not be an excuse-making factory for very flawed candidates. This will serve the cause of God better long-term, and it will elevate uh, a religiously inspired vision for the public square in our own country. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.